Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the B-Side Podcast here at Liberty Church. I'm Steve King. Alongside me is Matt Luloyan. Uh, Matt, welcome to another week of the B-Side Podcast. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, really good to be with you this morning. And also, a special welcome to our guest. Many of you know her already from Liberty Church, our church administrator, Maddie Gwines. Yeah, Maddie, welcome to the show. Welcome, Maddie. It's good to be here, as yeah. nervous as I am. <laughs> okay, let's, well, let's start with this. Um, let's clarify for all the listeners the actual real pronunciation of your last name, because I feel like I've heard many different... What are some of the varieties of the pronunciation? Yeah, that's the best well, let's way. Start, what let's have start, you heard? Oh, yeah, what's, start, what's right? Let's start what's with right. the real yeah, one. Okay, what's right? And then we can kind of go after, yeah. So what's the actual way to say your last name, Maddie? Yeah, um, I don't believe anyone has ever gotten it right the first try. It's, oh, okay. It's pronounced Gwines. Gwines. Yeah. Like there would be a W in there. Yeah. But it's, it's, not G, it's G-U-Y-N-E-S. Yes. Right, okay. I've heard, uh, well, Gynes, I would imagine, is That's a common, common. that yeah. was my mispronunciation. Yeah. That's what I did when I introduced you <laughs> in your in covenant, like in front of the whole entire church. That is true. And I did it this way. I, in my mind, I locked it in as like, well, Steve, it's Gynes, because obviously it's not Gwines. Like, and I was just like, I was so convinced you that were... I was doing it correctly, but I was convinced in the, the exact opposite direction. Steve King, highly confident. That's right. Highly confident, even if maybe off in that moment. If I'm going to, listen, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail confidently, right? Give me the ball. I'll take the shot. I might miss, but I want to take it. And also, maybe um, can't really empathize with Maddie and my pain in this because people learn how to pronounce your last name in like their first grade reading class. The problem with my last name, true story, is that it's too easy. It's too easy. So when I say my name over the phone to people, like they say, what's your name? Steve King. Steve. And they go, what is it? And I I have to say, I say, so I will instinctively always go King, K-I-N-G. It's too easy. People don't. It's too, what, like, how do they not get that? They, I don't know if they hear me saying Kang or, or it's just like, they, huh. for some reason, King doesn't immediately come. Okay. And it's happened enough that I've just, I spell my last name all the time wow. okay. to anybody that asks it. It's almost too easy. Hmm. You don't understand my pain. I, okay, of having too easy a name to pronounce. I tried, so. I tried spelling my last name once on a phone call, and I heard just the other end go, they go dead. They just, they just, they just hung up. That was, that was the this is some call. sort of prank that call. Was, yeah. How many O's can be in a last name? It's, Forget this. What What are some other mispronunciations? I've, actually, I've heard Gynez as well. Oh, that was Gynez. maybe the most unique one yeah. I've heard from somebody. Right. But Queens. Queens, okay. I think the weirdest was Gunez. Gunez. I'm not even sure Gunez. how they came okay. up with that one. Okay. I, I look at it, and I'm like, yeah, I don't. That's not I possible. mean, at least, at least <laughs> I didn't say Gunez or something. <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. What do you know? What the origin, like nationality, is? No. That's okay. Just no, curious. We have no, no knowledge of any. Okay, because people are clearly <laughs> inserting their own interpretations of that. It sounds like there's like some, you know, Hispanic. Some people kind of take it a Hispanic direction. Some people take it. I don't know what other those other pronunciations yeah. are, but there know. we go. Uh, regardless, we're excited to have you on the yes, show this we week. Are. Right? Yes, there you go. We are. Okay. Um, Matt, you said this yesterday, so you you mentioned Maddie during the sermon. We had the Bear Foundation, we had Stacy from the Bear Foundation as a, a guest just to talk a little bit about Bear and its services, and we'll be talking with you about that, Maddie. And Matt, you said, hey, for anyone who doesn't know, Maddie, you know, working here 
at Liberty Church part time. Yep. Um, that's actually the, that's the part time job on top of the full time work with Bear. That's right. Um, so I think you said that well yesterday. Maybe there are people in our church who heard that for the first time, didn't yeah. realize that you worked with Bear. Um, and so maybe that's a great place to start, yeah. Maddie. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do with the Bear Foundation, and maybe even a little bit of the backstory of how God gave you a heart for the work that you do, and even led you to Bear. Yeah, um, I I work. Um, Bear is a foster care and adoption agency, but I work on our foster care end of things um, as a caseworker. So um, we are a provider agency that. Um, we certify the foster homes, and then when the county calls us with a referral for a placement, we go ahead and place the child in our homes, which is Stacy's role, and then she hands the case off to someone like myself, who then does all the follow-up, um, maintaining that placement, making sure the kids are appropriately cared for, um, all their needs are being met, and they're receiving all the services that they would need. Um, and I would stay on that case until... Um, some kind of permanency is achieved for them, whether that's reunification or um, adoption or something of that sort. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I never saw myself in this role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I went to college having no clue what I wanted to do and chose social work because it sounded like good fit. didn't really know what it was at first, but um, it seemed a broad enough field that I could have a major without knowing what I wanted to do with my life just yet. And then that backfired when I graduated and still had no clue what I wanted to do and had endless options. Um, the only thing I could easily rule out at the start was um, I knew I would not be working with the elderly population for the simple fact that they can't hear me speak. So, <laughs> nice. okay, yeah. yeah. You, you talk in a register that is out yeah. of their, their range of hearing. Okay, yep. okay. Okay, so let's check that one off the list. Like, yeah. That one. Okay. So at that point, I just started looking for jobs. Um, and... I had never really considered foster care as an option. I had never written it off, but I never really considered it. Um, the closest I had come to it was that last semester of college. I studied abroad in Uganda, hmm. um, where I had been made to do two homestays. Um, I say made because I did not want to. No, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But the first was a, a two-week homestay within the town that I was going to school, and the second was a rural homestay that was literally drove me out into the middle of nowhere, dropped me off in a mud hut, and wow. said, see you in a week. Yeah. Um, so in both those situations, I was with families that did not speak really any English at all. Hmm. So they were, those weeks were some of the toughest weeks of my life, actually. Hmm. Um, hmm. I was just feeling incredibly misunderstood and really alone, um, and I just struggled to go through them. And it just, like, kind of hit me in that week, and I was like, man, if I... If I'm going into this situation, I know hmm. in a week I get to leave. Hmm. I, I know there's an end date to this. And I know in my mind that I have a strong, loving family that is waiting for me back home huh. that I get to go back to in a number of months. If I can still know those things and struggle that much to get through the week, like what must it be like for a child that's hmm. taken from their home so suddenly and placed into a stranger's house not knowing what's going to come with their life at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what started to stir that compassion in me for that for that population. Um, so when I came across the job listing for Bear, I I just read through the read through the the job posting. It was the first one that really sparked any interest. And as I looked at Bear's website, I just 
felt this assurance. I was like, this is, this is where I'm going to be. Hmm. Like, I just knew in that moment that this is where God wants me. And um, I just began to get really excited and went through the whole process and was offered the job my birthday. So I just feel like wow. it's a sweet little thing from yeah. God of like, you've come this far and I'm guiding you. You just have to trust in my, hmm. my hand that I'll get you where you need to be, whether yeah. you know it or not. So, yeah. Yeah. That's that's awesome. That's that, a great that story. was two years ago, three years ago. About two and a half years two ago, and a half. August okay. of 2019. I okay, started. okay. Yeah. And because you, you graduated from well now Masai University, yeah. Masai College maybe still at the yep. time, or just transitioning to yeah. university at the time. Okay, vintage with that one. That's great. Yeah, so, that's yeah. fantastic. Well, maybe just kind of taking it from there. Um, would love to just hear you are on the front line of you know we talked yesterday about the sanctity of life, kind of the broader issue. But one of the specific ways to pursue being comprehensively about the sanctity of all life is not just to um, have a legal position or, or engage in like a legal, the legal aspects of the sanctity of life, but also to be wholeheartedly committed to vulnerable women and vulnerable children. Um, and certainly children in the foster care system are vulnerable children and women and, and fathers, families uh, are vulnerable families that, that often are what results in their kids being in in foster care or uh, for adoption. So just be great to hear your experiences, some of the, the joys of this this role, uh, some of the sorrows and the hardships of this role, because I would imagine that there are pretty strong extremes in in, in, in the chair that you sit in, um, getting to sit on the front line of this. Um, but yeah, what, what does foster care and adoption look like from someone's vantage point who's, who's really on the front line and on the inside of this? Yeah, yeah, I think the joys and the sorrows often come hand in hand. Um, hmm. One of the first cases that I worked on and one of the ones that's been most memorable to me um, was a young girl. She was she was 10 years old and she was placed um, and she was coming out of a situation of extreme abuse and neglect. So when she was first brought out of that situation, she actually spent a good deal of time in the hospital hmm. um, for severe malnutrition uh, she was really underweight and she couldn't walk um, she actually had spent so much time in confined spaces that she could barely even straighten her legs mm-hmm. wow. so yeah. Um, yeah. she was placed in one of our homes that um, specializes with medically needy children mm. and just I worked with her with her for a year before we moved her to a pre-adoptive home within another agency but during that year we just began to learn more about her life and her backstory and what she endured in that Hmm. and um, just heartbreaking things, um, things that children should never even be exposed to, let alone have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And um, one of those, one of those moments that sticks out in my mind is the foster mom had a, a box of, large black trash bags on the floor Hmm. and she walked in the room and she saw them and just matter-of-factly says oh I know what these are for and she pulled one out and opened it up and got in and cinched it around her neck with just her head poking out and she goes we used to have to sit in these when we were naughty or we couldn't sit still Oh wow! Um, which goes back to that confined spaces no wonder she couldn't walk and she had to relearn how to just function in life at 10 years of age but yeah just matter of fact, like, this is how I experienced life. Yeah. This, this is what it was. And huh. so to know that she came from such a tragic background, but to get her to, to see her experience life hmm. 
as a child should be able to at that point mm. it was just incredible she was such a joyful child mm. um has such a, a curiosity for life um she was blown away by the concept of baking huh. like okay. you could put flour and and sugar and whatnot into a bowl and it comes out as a cake like huh. just could not wrap her mind around that concept and huh. so it was just so incredible to see her experience life and finally get to engage and explore um, and learn as a child should be able to so yeah, yeah. I think I, I think of um, this quote from a man named Bessel van der Kolk he's mm. a psychiatrist researcher and he wrote a really incredible book on trauma um, mm. called the body keeps the score. Yeah, so highly yeah. recommend it if you've never yeah. read it. Um, but his quote is that the parent-child connection is the most powerful mental health intervention known to mankind. Hmm. And so, hmm. I think that's where the real joy of my work comes from: is getting to see these children finally, in a lot of cases, finally have a parent-child connection like they've never had before. Mm-hmm. Because in this work, that is the foundation of anything. Like we can throw as many resources and services as we want at a child, but they're not going to engage in those things until they mm-hmm. really feel that felt safety and love mm-hmm. in in their life, and that comes from from that relationship. Yeah, how's, yeah. how's that? That um, I mean, tell me your how you've reflected if you have on maybe how how you would go into your faith would bring you and draw you into this work. But then the work would also reinforce so much of your faith. Yeah. Um, when we talk so much, we talk about it because Scripture talks about it. How um, we become adopted sons and daughters of God. We mm-hmm. we become into His family. He calls us children. You're speaking about the power of the relationship between the parent and child. Mm-hmm. And so you can go into this work with that belief to 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 see how then then experiences you have reinforce mm-hmm. the faith. Um, has that been your experience? Where have you observed that? Where has your faith kind of played a role from that perspective in your work? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, pretty much all of the families that I work with are Christian families. So mm. they're implementing a lot of these these things within their work with their kids as well, which mm. is incredible. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times it's so easy for myself to to know in my mind that um this work is a ministry and i'm going in with that intent but it's so easy to get swept up in the evil and the sin that is so prevalent with the cases that we work with and for me to get so frustrated with some of the bio parents that we work with um Mm -hmm. because i don't know their full stories i don't know what kind of background they're coming from themselves but Mm -hmm. um when I get to that point, I, the Lord has provided me with moments of reminding me that why I'm doing this and, and where he's at in it, that we're not doing this alone. Mm-hmm. Um, he has his hand in it at every point. And I've had a couple cases this year alone that that's been extremely evident huh. where I've, I've had cases that have kind of blown up in one sense or another. And huh. I've been left feeling like I, I have no home for this child now. I don't know where they're mm-hmm. going to sleep tonight and mm-hmm. I need to get this figured out. And yeah. I don't, I can get them a bed for tonight, but are they going to have a permanent home? Are they going to mm-hmm. be able to go home to mom and dad and all these things? And just seeing the Lord's provision through that, because my hands are so tied at that point. And yeah. he has brought about some incredible situations that um, 
have led to greater joys. Anything that mm-hmm. I could have ever planned for this child or, or hoped for this child, um, he has provided in that. And a lot of that comes <clears throat> through the families that I work with. They mm-hmm. remind me. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the times they're reminding me more of the ministry of this work than I am reminding them, mm-hmm. unfortunately. <laughs> well, no, I, don't, yeah, I don't know if it's... Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. So some, some self-reflection there. I don't, it's, maybe it's not unfortunate. It's reality. It's, it's a blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, I, I'm sure they would... The families that work with ministries like Bear and other ministries that we partner with in the area that, that are um, advocating for a God-glorifying perspective on the sanctity of life, mm-hmm. I'm sure that the recipients of the, of the care of those organizations, no doubt, are appreciative and would say something like, it's only because of the work of that foundation I'm able to do what I do. And so, but for you to also go, wow, I'm learning from them as well. I mean, the reality is we're all learning. And if we're all glorifying God along the way, that's, yeah. that's where, that's where it should be due anyway. So. And I think some of those families that have, have really done that well are the families that really understand this is a holistic ministry that yeah. sanctity yeah. of life. We're not only talking about, you know, the issue of abortion or, mm-hmm. or foster care. Like mm-hmm. We're talking about the parents as well, like mm-hmm. uh, sanctity of life for the child in care, but also their parents and their yeah. extended relatives and yeah. um, everything that that entails. And so the parents, some of the best parents that I've worked with are the ones that really catch that vision and mm-hmm. they pursue um, mm-hmm. those bio parents in relationships and, mm-hmm. and really love them well, not just so they can get their child back, but just them as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of redeeming them in that sense. Cause it really is a very demeaning process to have to go through this mm-hmm. as a bio parent yeah. and all that it entails. You've used that phrase a couple times, bio parent. I may have, you had used a phrase a couple, maybe weeks or months ago. And I'd asked you what the phrase meant. I don't know if it was bio parent. It may have been that one. It stands for biological parent, yes. right? So I just anyone yes. that's listening is going, like, "What is that? What are they saying?" Yeah. I think it, I think it was bio parent. I had asked you a couple months ago, like, Wait, "What are you saying? I, I don't understand what you mean." And just yeah. a little bit of the nomenclature, the lingo. I had a, yeah, yeah. The lingo. I had to pick up on it. it. Sounds really obvious when you explained it to me. I was like, "I can't oh, yeah. believe I asked that question." But for anyone else that's listening, wondering what that reference yeah. is, because there's probably references in your work that yeah, I, I refer to bio parents because it's simply easier than saying biological parents. Correct. But that refers to. Um, birth mother, um, perhaps a legal father that may not be a biological father, but I just, mm-hmm. for the sake of conversation, I just lump them all into one. So yeah. mm-hmm. um, oftentimes we don't even have an identified father for kids though, and it's usually mm-hmm. just the mother that we're working with. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate the way that your, uh, yeah, your reflection, your appreciation for ministries that have that holistic, comprehensive view. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, in our, in our, in the ugly side of sinful culture and um, the divisive times we live in, um, oftentimes, sometimes the the unhealthy and the sinful yelling that happens back and forth between sides, yeah. there's always a polarization that tends to happen in society. And in those arguments, they get reduced just to, you know, too reductionistic in arguments. And so someone, you know, if we were to... Like, Matt, the way you preached yesterday, sanctity of life, um, that's, a, that's a great all-encompassing phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, it captures a lot more than for us to just say, hey, we're pro-life. Sure. Um, in the reductionistic, polarized argument of pro-life versus per-choice, mm-hmm. um, it is uh, um, too quickly. And I think one that we could refute, I don't think we're going to give a lot of time to it today, for mm-hmm. someone to be on the 
pro-choice side and say, oh, pro-life means you're only pro-birth. What about the rest of life? Mm -hmm. And I think the way we're approaching it, the way that you're, you're Bear and other organizations and for us, the heart of our church, we want to be people go, no, we actually are caring about all of life mm-hmm. from conception through death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for Christians, actually beyond death. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. I appreciate you, Maddie, talking, you know, reflecting of like the comprehensive, holistic nature of an organization like Bayer to care, not just for the children, but for the parents, mm-hmm. the family unit. Um, that's truly, I think, where our heart is. That's the heart of God. Mm-hmm. The heart of God is not just for children, although it is, is that children would be born mm-hmm. and then that men and women would grow um, into, into, to have joy in life and to have fulfillment and to have fulfillment in a relationship with God. Yeah. So that's yeah. really, I just appreciate you the way you said that because that, that speaks to the heart of what our church is, what we want our church to be, and what our community wants to be. Matt, how you preached a little bit on that yesterday, too. Yeah, and it's, I think this is one of, you know, maybe not the only expression of how to be comprehensive in our in our pursuit of sanctity of life, but a really significant one um, where, you know, so maybe other examples would be poverty, because poverty is often listed as a, you know, consistently listed as a factor for why women and couples would be considering an abortion. Um the kinds of situations, Maddie, that you deal with every single day, the kind of broke, like, and, and I appreciate even how you're describing that and even how the joys and sorrows go together. Um, it, it's probably, um, it's probably not unthinkable that a, that a number of folks that would, you know, be pro-life positionally and maybe their only encounter or experience with the idea of adoption or foster care would be kind of a three minute video that we got to see yesterday, which was like, and I mean, I'm, you know, I've seen it three times. I've cried my eyes out every single time I've watched yeah. it. And then I was trying to get up and preach after it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, such a good story. Darian's story. Yeah, um, awesome. we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll find a way to like link that onto our, our there's website. Actually, if you're interested, there's a 30 minute version of it that a goes a little minute. bit more in depth. I just watched it yesterday. I need a box time. of tissues. I honestly, that's, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I might though. That, I mean, that's, I mean. And, and these beautiful, wow. these beautiful, I mean, unbelievable, like that, such an illustration of the gospel and yeah. God's heart for us and his yes. adoption into his, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. If that's someone's only experience is that they get to see these, these moments of celebration, um, they might miss like <clears throat> how broken and messed up. There's, there's even a reference in that video of the five and a half years that he was waiting yes. there. Yes. Living in a detention center, even though he had committed no crime because that was just the only place that he could be housed for. Like it's. So I, I think we need continually that, hey, I hope you land in the right place positionally on this. I think you should advocate for the unborn. I think there is a legal channel to do that uh, and a need for that. But remember how broken the real lives of real people are because of sin and, and not just their own, but sin that's been done to them. Um, remember how broken and messy that actually is to do that. So that's where I think you, you've got to yeah. invite people into the reality of this so that we so that we really step into it and we don't, we don't, um, we don't ever come across as people who are, you know, that, that would be Steve, to your point. Um, if someone like myself convictionally would say like, yes, I'm pro-life, someone's rebuttal who lives on the other side of that legal aspect would, you know, outside of the aisle would say like, um, well, who's life? <laughs> like, yeah, who, sure. like who, I'm pro-life. Well, who's life? Are you for the life of the child? Are you for the life of the mom and mm-hmm. the, and the other people yeah. involved that are already already out of the womb. It's like, well, it can't be an either or. It can't mm-hmm. be a yeah. it can't be either or. I think kind of going off that too, we talk within Christian circles, we talk a lot about adoption. Yeah. And I think as Christians we have a great understanding of the weight of that and mm. what that really means and mm. even in an <clears throat> eternal yeah. eternal yeah. aspect. Um and that's all true and, and good, but I think we often miss sight of through unification. 
part of this as well. The child's not adopted, and hopefully they've been reunified with their parents. Mm -hmm. And reunification in and of itself is an incredible redemptive story. Hmm. Like there's yeah, so much yeah, to that point. that yeah. we don't celebrate enough of. Yeah, You're bringing back a family together. You're caring mm -hmm. for all those ages there that you, you, know, you mentioned. And mm -hmm. I think there's so much more to that that we don't we don't tie in with our faith yeah. as, mm -hmm. as much as we should. Yeah, it may, that may even be true of, of fostering itself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yesterday, I don't know the exact statistic, maybe it's twice as unlikely or twice as challenging for a child 12, 11 or 12 or older to be adopted or fostered into a mm -hmm. family than someone who's younger. Um, speaks a little bit to the, maybe the demand of, um, certain aged children to be foster or adoptees into a family. Um, we mm -hmm. speak so much about adoption and yet like adoption has different pictures to it. Mm -hmm. you can, you, it can be done in different ways. And so maybe Maddie, could you, could you summarize or just kind of review again some of the things that Stacy said yesterday, she kind of did a great job of mm -hmm. um, promoting the services and the opportunities for people to get involved with bear. Yeah. It's just like, Hey, if you're, it'd be easy to walk away from that yesterday going, Maybe not easy, but like someone could walk away going, you know what, fostering is not for me right now. And so you walk away going, there's nothing I can do to support children and families that Bear is working with other than uh, financial gifts, which are, of course, needed. And our church does work to support them as well. But Stacey did a great job saying, and if you can't, if you're not interested in this, well, then you can think about this. And if not that, then you can think about this. What are the ways that you would ask people in our community or anyone that's listening to this podcast to consider being involved in the work of Bear to serve children and families. Yeah, um, I think two of our if you're if you're not if you don't feel the call to be a foster parent, that is okay. And I highly respect that you know your limits and your boundaries and your gifts. Um, but yeah, I would encourage you to look for ways that your gifts could support and and bless those who are um, living this out day to day. And I think two of those biggest needs that we have in support is um, respite care and mm -hmm. transportation. Um, yeah. So if you can drive a car, you can help us. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, Stacey went on some other things too. It's like, if you can cook, you can help. If you get a paycheck, you can help. Yeah. Um, there's really no excuse, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's always a way to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll get you in there somehow. <laughs> um, but yeah, two of our, our largest needs are our respite and transportation. Um, and with with those things we want those to be as much as possible continued support for families particularly for the kids so that they don't have um five different respite homes that they're mm -hmm. just bumping between you know mm -hmm. when the parents need it but rather to have someone that can be a fun uncle and aunt mm -hmm. and they can kind of build an extended family that they may never have experienced mm -hmm. before um can i ask you to real quick maybe yeah. just review what some of the typical respite um, experiences look like? Is it is it if I'm if I'm a respite caregiver, am I mm -hmm. would I is, it, is there always an overnight stay? No, I don't think so. Is it a full day, a half day? What what are the the foster families looking for when it comes just to like envision yeah. people to go like, oh wait a second, I can do that. I can yeah. do half a day. I can do dinner. I can go babysit. Like what are the respite experiences? Yeah. Um, when I talk about respite care, I'm, I'm more referring to overnight stays. Okay. Um, if you wanted to be like a official respite parent for Bear and, and help out any of our families, um, we would 
greatly appreciate that. I've had a number of situations in the last two weeks where I'm scrambling at the last minute to find anyone who's available. Hmm. So it is needed. Um, but it can also be for just one identified family. Like we have a family in this church who mm-hmm. um, is going to need respite care. So do you want to be an identified resource for them? You don't have to go through Bear to do that. You can just be that fun uncle and aunt mm-hmm. through this connection that you have in our church. Um, and through that, do things like babysitting as well. But yeah, typically respite care, overnight respite care is looking like um, scheduled. Like if a family is going on vacation and they're not able to take the child, you're going to watch them for that that weekend or that week. Or if we have an emergency situation where we have to remove a child from a foster home for X, Y, or Z, they might come stay with you that night um, mm-hmm. for an unidentified amount of time. Um, Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you can set limits on that too. Um, whatever it is that you'd need. The part that was interesting to me too, that I'm, you know, as I'm continuing to learn about this, um, is, um, that once a child is officially in foster care placed with a family, that some of that respite care and certainly at least the babysitting options don't require you to go through the full, um, I'm sure there's a right terminology that I'm not getting for this, mm-hmm. but the, but the full kind of certification process yeah. to become, a, um, I think maybe if you're, if you're like a respite parent permanently with Bayer kind of always on call, you probably do have to go yes. through some certification, yeah, you would. but, um, like for example, the family in our church that is probably going to officially become foster parents of two kiddos soon. Um, there's something that you called, I think, prudent parenting. Prudent parenting, yeah. So maybe tell us a little bit more about that and what that would look like. Yeah, prudent parenting is is actually a law that was passed a number of years ago to help normalize life for foster children. Hmm. Um, so it's essentially a law that it states, if I'm a foster parent and I would, um, and I had a bio child of my own that I would send to stay with you guys for a weekend. Yeah. And I, as a parent, I'm fine, I trust you guys with that, yeah. then I can do the same for my foster child. Mm. There are limits to it that I can't make any big life decisions for them. Yeah. Um, I don't have medical and educational rights for them still. But yeah. in basic day-to-day things, um, it takes away uh, a lot of the formality of, of things and mm. it helps the child feel a little bit more like a normal kid. Yeah. So if they want to join a sport at school, I can sign the papers for that. Yeah. I don't have mm. to get the county yeah. to come in and... Um, sign any forms for any of that and so. it even used to be like if a, if a if a child wanted to go like on a field trip they had to have like a judge sign the permission yeah. slip or something right, it was like right. the intensity yeah. of that which are for someone who's already in such a, a hard and, and vulnerable place like a foster child to then have like this you know like what would seem more like a normal activity every day a teacher says hey we're going to go to so you know we're going to this field trip on friday have your mm-hmm. have your parent or guardian sign your your permission slip and they're like well it's going to take me like four days to get in front of a judge at the very least it's a process yeah <laughs> so that's that was actually I'm, I'm really encouraged to hear that um and even you know maybe for for people who are listening thinking like oh well that actually even opens up more opportunities mm-hmm. If they, if they weren't maybe able to put the time in to become fully certified to become an official respite home, they could still step in alongside a family and provide some of that kind of yeah. respite type care as it gets into, you know, as it's families that they know and already are in relationship mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of prudence. Oh, wow. Transition. Prudent parenting oh, into prudence on the whole. That's, that's why we pay you the big bucks. That's Steve. it. That's <laughs> the only reason I'm here. Um, I'm done. Okay, so we had a question come in um, from someone who is uh, in attendance, uh, worshiping with us yesterday. Yeah. Um, so Matt, just want to 
dive into this question. It was, um, Matt, in your sermon, uh, you were discussing how there's a problem in our cultural moment. Um, and I'd say it has been, it's a long moment that we're in right now where society has separated sex from marriage and marriage and sex from children. So those, those three things just being independent of each other now. Mm -hmm. Um, and Matt, you said, he said, I know he said not to hear what he wasn't saying. I'm glad. I'm glad. Right. So that's true. You did say that because there's a lot to maybe unpack with that and you didn't mean to unpack all of it in yesterday's message, but the question is, can you expound more on what you meant by separating marriage and sex from children? And, and then the, another follow-up to that was, obviously, the Lord opens and closes the womb, but there are specific scenarios. But are there, sorry, specific scenarios where a couple shouldn't have kids? Do you think it's right for a Christian couple to get married and decide that they do not want to have children? So maybe yesterday you gave a little bit of the qualifier of marriage, sex, and children always go together in the Christian worldview. It doesn't mean that every marriage will result yes. or lead to children. Yep. So you just want to give that qualifier. Yep. So this question is just saying, hey, expound on all of that a little bit. Those three things, why are they always together? And what what do Christians do yeah. when they're trying to apply prudence to family planning and raising children? Yeah, man, just a light topic. A light topic. Uh... <laughs> this should take you about 30 seconds and we'll be out of here. So... No, it's a it's a great question. I really appreciate the the follow up and the asking about even unpacking that further. Um, it sounds like this person is is maybe not wrestling as much with the the sex and marriage pieces hanging together in God's design, being together in God's design, as much as as sex and marriage are together, where do children fit into that? So sure. I'll, I'll kind of skip over what could be said a lot about sex and marriage. That's, I think, one of the major breakdowns of our culture starts there. Yeah. So we're, we're maybe a step then in, into that, past that, with this question. Um, and I guess what I would say is, is you've got um, the first place to go, I think, is in before the fall, before humanity's fall into sin, you have um, what's called the cultural mandate uh, which is Genesis 1, 27 and 28, which is when God calls Adam and Eve to exercise dominion over all that God has made. In other words, be stewards, co- you know, collaborators with God to steward what he has created as good. Um, and in that mandate, <clears throat> he says to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to subdue it. So that you have there for, for Adam and Eve in the garden before sin. So that's where I think you look back to the good design of God and you see these three things really held together. What I would say then is that, you know, the fall corrupts absolutely everything. And so um, there definitely are situations where holding together God's good design for sex and marriage, children are not part of that process. And that can be um, painful, uh, hard, tragic situations where couples are really trying to have children and just are not able to, and they've tried all kinds of efforts and just nothing is is happening uh, there. That could be a couple gets married and just complexities in their lives, um, mental and physical health, and, all, and all, there's all kinds of things that might be reasons why that couple, why that marriage would not lead to children. I think the way to think about it is this: that that breakdown is not necessarily that person's sin. Like they have to own personally, this is my fault. I'm sinning by not choosing to have children. But the the separation between sex and marriage and children is always the result of sin, brokenness, the fall. Like if it's, if it's not connecting all the way through, sin and its corruption of everything has corrupted something there. Now mm-hmm. that might be playing out in why can't someone have kids? Well, sin corrupts everything, and the, the physical result of that in some people's lives is 
um, that they're not able to have children even if they want to. Other couples that are married um, uh, and, and just it would not be prudent or wise to have children, that would be because sin has corrupted something there. That would be something is, and I'm not, I'm, and I hope you hear me clearly on this. I'm not trying to say that's their fault. Um, and in many cases, it's, it's things, it, I would put it more in what I would call the category of brokenness, things that are the result of sin, but not that person's individual sin to own. So that's where I think you, you look back to the design of God, you see all three of those things holding together. Um, I would say that, so, so to this specific question, are there specific scenarios where a couple should not have kids? Yes. Uh, where, where wisdom and prudence would say, because of what your life looks like right now, I would not call it wise to pursue having kids even in, in your marriage. Um, so yes, there are situations like that. The, maybe the flip side of that would just be to say, we live in a cultural moment where couples that are married um, are not considering kids at all and not really for for those kinds of reasons. Right. It's more of like... Um, it's preference. It's preference. Um, even... Um, environmental circumstance kind of like the like the environment mm-hmm. even i've heard you know like the, the tax that humanity takes on the world i don't want to contribute more people to the population there's all kinds of arguments out some there. misaligned convictions yep. convictions in the wrong direction and i would yeah. i would push gently and graciously um these are you know these are very personal intimate aspects of people's lives but i would push on those kinds of perspectives to say i think i think you're not necessarily seeing this from a comprehensive biblical worldview where we are given a mandate from God yeah. to hold these things together. So definitely there are couples that, that should not have kids because of the way sin has just broken things down there. Um, but probably some people that are saying, well, we're just, that's just not our plan. We're going to get married. We're going to do our thing. Um, I would, I would also push on those folks to say, I would see these things as more connected than that. Yeah. Um, and to, to think about it differently. Yeah. I think, I think that's, yeah, that's well said. I think it's a really good question. Really good question. And I would encourage people listening, you, you always hear us solicit um, questions, like bring questions after sermons for these podcasts. These are, these are supposed to be discussions that help inform our Bible study groups and discussions and also the discussions that we have with one other community throughout the week otherwise. Bring these questions. And if there are more questions on this topic, bring them. Uh, because, you know, I think I appreciate uh, um Hearing someone else reflect on this, a different uh, Christian theologian, worldview, kind of Christian worldview expert. Um, you know, maybe in the past, someone going through premarital counseling, the, maybe the, the the lazy Christian question would be, hey, do you want to have, are you, do you both want to have kids? And the answer is like, yes, okay, great, we move on. Sure. As opposed to, well, wait a second, there's a whole lot more that, um, even technologically, we find ourselves in our um, the generations both now and in the future will have to sort through Christian worldview and convictions in ways that past generations just did not, mm-hmm. didn't even have the opportunity to do. Um, so whether it's yes or no to ha- wanting children, mm-hmm. how to have children, yeah. you know, like yeah. um, that's just even very different now than it ever has mm-hmm. been. So I thought this was a really good question. Yeah. And um, now I thought you did a good job saying that yesterday um, and keeping it like, Man, that's where I could, I, I feel the challenge sometimes in preaching or speaking. Like you, you see that, that rabbit hole go down, like you qualified it smoothly and quickly because there was a lot that you could have gone into on either side. Separate, separate topic. For separate. separate exactly. Yeah. My goodness. So, um, yeah, that's well said. I appreciate the question. So bring more of those questions. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. Really good. Um, Maddie, we loved having you yeah. on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Um, if you were to like, give me or, or, or listeners that, 
30 second elevator pitch. If they're just if they're at the end here going, wait a second, I listened, but I've been doing dishes the whole time, or you know, I was cleaning stuff up in the basement. Like, wait, what did we talk about today? Give them 30 seconds of what you would want them to take away, maybe even as a next step if they wanted to learn more about bear. What would be the next step that they could really take? Yeah. Um, well, I think certainly pray about it. Um, I don't want anyone to jump into this um, just willy-nilly and because hmm. um, these kids need commitment and they need stability in their lives. Um, so, yeah, certainly pray about it. Um, let me know any questions you have, any clarifications I can make for you. But, um, yeah, I would think just start piecing together in your mind where where are my gifts and hmm. how can those be helpful if, if you really don't like working with kids, that's okay. Like, <laughs> again, if you can cook, you can help. Um, anything mm. like that is, is a huge support to our parents. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, I think that there is, there's so much potential in this for our church um, mm. to engage in, mm. um, especially in this, this realm of sanctity of life, because I know we, we partner with um, Capital Area Pregnancy Center, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of a lot of this connects to, to what we see and deal with there. Um, so it's yeah. kind of the next step out from that. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, That's great. That's yeah. Really, good. really well said. Thanks for the time this morning. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the work that you're doing. We love seeing it and supporting it. Um, you're someone in our congregation alongside many others that have a, have a good view of this and now applying that mm-hmm. um, in your work with, with a lot of integrity. So it's terrific. Matt, give us a final word on um, what's upcoming for the B-Side podcast. I think... Um, we have yeah. a couple weeks, a couple, a couple odd weeks, couple, yep. I mean, great weeks, but kind of off weeks. So this coming Sunday, we have got, um, our annual Liberty network combined service. So we'll get to celebrate being part of that Liberty family of churches, um, which will be a lot of fun. And then the week after, uh, is Liberty Harrisburg's 10th anniversary. We started worshiping the first Sunday <laughs> of February of 2012. And so yeah. we're about to hit 10 years. So we got some celebrations planned for that day. We got some special guests live. We got some video video messages of congratulations coming in that day. Wow, it's gonna be a day. We got the day. And thanks to Maddie, who's here in the room with us, we've got some swag that day. Swag. We got some swag. Which uh, does everyone know what swag is? Maybe I don't not. know. It's Sw- stuff we all get. There it according is. According to Michael stuff Scott, we all get. It. <laughs> um, there are some uh, some Liberty Church coffee mugs. Not a repeat of the five-year coffee mug if you've been with Liberty Church that long. We've got some brand new, very of course, nice... Of course, he doesn't say five years on it. No, it's the 10-year celebration. The ten year, <laughs> it's the 10-year 10 10 year celebration, uh, Liberty Church coffee mug. And then to match it, just a, an extended, uh, ramped-up coffee hour that day. We'll have some cake. We'll have some, uh, some coffee mugs to give away. We'll have some other old Liberty swag to give away. And just um, just some fun time in that service and in between those services, just really getting to thank God for the work he's done for 10 years. So no B-side podcast for a couple weeks. That's right. Uh, because then after that 10-year anniversary, that's when we launch our Philippian series. And then we'll be then we'll be back regularly every week talking about Philippians. That's right. Um, kind of in our more normal rhythms and routines of the B-side. That's right. But join us for the combined service next week. Join us for cake and the 10-year celebration the yep. week after that. Yep. And then Philippians three weeks from, from, from today. So terrific. All right. Well, Maddie, thank you for being here today. Matt, thanks for joining again as well. Everyone, thanks for being uh, for listening in, applying this uh, continued discussion to your life and work um, in community with one another. And we will see you in a couple weeks from now. Peace, Steve King. K-I-N-G. There it is. K-I-N-G, just so you don't miss it. Bye, everyone.
Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.